Those who I can't see but are here anyway, I'm glad you're here too, even though you're meeting in your homes with us today. We're glad that you're a part of our service. Um, I want to move into our lesson for today. We're in a series we started last week called In Not Of. Um, I think it's becoming more and more evident every day, the reality of the burden of this, of this message and of this series. Um, that we're living and trying and doing our best to live, it, live our lives in a Christian way in a world that's not, in a culture that's not, in a society and a world that does not give a lot of credibility or value to the things that we value, the things that are important to us. We're in the book of 1 Peter, the letter that Peter, one of two letters he wrote to the church. And he was writing to people that I think we could identify with. He was writing to people whose, whose world had been shaken. They, they were scattered. They were isolated. They felt themselves to be under tremendous pressure because they were. They were experiencing loss in different ways and different expressions. And they were not in their homeland. Peter called them exiles. Now, most of us here, there may be some who have, that have been in exile. Most of us haven't in the natural been exiled from something, but I guarantee almost everyone, if not everyone here, has felt that way, has felt like the, the odd man out, has felt rejected, has felt um, not desired, not wanted, has felt like, like you were outside the scope of what everyone else appreciated or desired or felt was, was important in any, in any way. Peter calls them exiles, these believers who... He's writing to, but not just exiles. He calls them chosen exiles. In other words, he calls, he says, guys, you, you're exiled right now, but you still have an assignment. You're exiled right now, but you, you're still on a mission. There's still a purpose because you're chosen. And you're chosen by God himself. So even though you're here and here doesn't feel like home or look like home or sound like home, it's okay. It's not supposed to. Because your assignment is to carry out my purposes in the earth, to fulfill my purposes in the earth. And if you know much about the early church, it was during this time they, they exploded. It was during this time that the church just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And so I think for those reasons, it's worth revisiting this letter. And that's what we're doing in our series today that we're calling In and Not Of. What do you do when your world, it feels like your world is being shaken? What do you do when it, does not, you just, it doesn't just feel that way, but your world, in fact, is being shaken? That's what those early believers felt like, that everything was dangerous to them. Everything felt so uncertain to them. Everything was so perilous to them. Everything was so unknown to them. We're, we can identify with that on some level, where we're living right now, today. What are, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do? When we look around and it seems like God is allowing everything that can be shaken to be shaken. Things that formerly we looked to 
for consistency in life, things that we looked to and, and we thought that, that they were standards in life, things that we looked to and we put some level and degree of confidence in, in life. What do we do when we look at those things now and those things don't, have, don't grant us the, that comfort anymore? That they're being shaken, that they're being transformed, they're being challenged, they, they seem to be crumbling all around us. What do you do when the things around you seem to be shaking of heart. I think Peter's advice to the early church is the same advice that he'd give to us today and does, that when the world around you is shaking, grab onto something that's not. Take hold of something that's bigger and stronger than whatever it is that's causing the shaking. Find something that's consistent. Find something that you can rely on that won't let you down, that won't and can't be diminished by life. We're, we're in an interesting season. And, and I'm very cautious about projecting and predicting future kinds of things. But as I look at our world today, and I look at the things that we're seeing happening around us today, and I look, try to look forward and ask God to give me some, some insight it, I see like two paths, and they're parallel to each other. And the church has to decide which path we're really going to walk. There's a path that our world is taking. There's a path that people are choosing to walk. There's a path that, that um, I don't advise, because on that path, God has been dismissed from it. God is not considered in it and on it. Not that he doesn't want to be, but men's hearts have gone cold towards things of the Lord. And there's another path that God is desperately trying to call his church to. Because for too long, the church, those two paths have always existed, but for too long, the church has walked, tried to walk in between those two and create a middle of the road. And God, God is using current events to let us know there's no middle of the road. He's putting us in a place like Elijah of old where he stand, goes before the people and says, you got to make a choice. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me today, where we are today in 2021, you got to make a choice. How are you going to live your life? What, what path are you going to take? The Bible says, the writer of Hebrews writes that if you're a Christian, you're part of a kingdom, listen, that cannot be shaken. You're part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. No matter what's happening around you, the kingdom of God is unaffected. The kingdom of God is not challenged in any way by the things that we look around and, and, and just question and wonder what, what on earth is going on. And so what Peter does to help these, these, these chosen exiles is he takes them back to their foundation. He takes them back to their root. He takes them back to their, their faith in Christ. He takes them back to, to the importance of their identity. He tries to get them to refocus their vision. You know, it, it, how we see life um, it all depends upon what lens you're looking through. And sometimes we have to evaluate the lens we're using to see our world and to come up with better clarity. And it's time for the church. And Peter's telling the church in that day, 
You have to stop seeing your faith through your circumstance. And you have to start seeing your circumstance through your faith. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. When I see my faith through my circumstance, then my faith is unstable. Because circumstances in this world are unstable. And if my, the things happening around me are the t- determination of the condition of my faith, then my faith is always going to be peaks and valleys, up and down. We never really know where we stand, but if our identity is in Christ, we see our circumstances through our faith. That's changing, but God hasn't. That looks bad, but my God can do the impossible. I don't understand this, but I do understand that my God is faithful. Just like we sang today, just like Pastor Jeremy shared with you today. There's something God is trying to get through to his church. As his church. I'll be as real practical as I can. We can't afford to be pulled into the emotion and the discord of our day. Do you understand that? We can't afford just to be another voice in all that noise. That's not where we belong. And we as Christians, as Christ followers, as those who identify with the person of Jesus Christ, should never in any way, in any dimension, be reflecting or repeating what's happening in the culture around us. We shouldn't show the same kind of response and reaction to the things that are taking place around us. In fact, much the opposite. We see what's happening around us. It should be causing us to actively draw closer together, encouraging one another, and to do the hard work of what it it means to model the life of Christ that's in us to a world that needs to see it. This is a great backdrop that we're living in right now for the church to shine. There's a great backdrop in our culture for the church to rise up and be everything that all those issues that our world is dealing with. The church has the solution and we could live it out in front of them if we would do it. And not get caught up in it. I believe that God is using this time. I don't. I don't believe that God is causing all this, but nothing's unknown to God. I believe he's allowing much of what we're experiencing, not as a punishment to the world, but to try and get his church's attention, to try to get his people's attention. There's things he has to tell us, things he has to show us, things he wants to do through us, but he first has to get our attention, and he can't get our attention until we're willing to really walk out and live a life and a faith that's in but not of. We have to stop trying to live in the middle. We have to be willing to let go of everything that's not him. Everything that doesn't have his endorsement. We have to be willing to completely adjust and realign to to the degree in whatever areas that he shows to us. Our lifestyles, our attitudes, our habits, our interests, our conversations, our relationships. We have to be willing to do the hard work of truly being identified exclusively with the person of Jesus Christ. That's how Peter started his letter, talking about identity. We talked about that last week, so I can't go a whole lot further into that. But it's foundational in order for us to move forward. It's foundational that we understand our identity in Christ 
can't just be religious talk. It can't just be verses we throw out and make us feel warm and fuzzy. We have to be serious about it, that who we are is who Christ is in us. And that's all we are. His reputation, not ours. His name, not ours. We have to be a people who are willing to walk and live each and every day, wherever we are in our day, to live out that unshakable kingdom that he's put in us, that we're citizens of, that we're membership of. That means we're going to live in such a way where we're more concerned about godly action than we are about religious rhetoric. We're going to demonstratively, intentionally show love to people we don't even like. We're going to care about the souls of people more than complaining about their behavior. We're going to pursue Christian oneness over political agreement. You know, we we could take any subject. We're a group of people. We could take any subject. It doesn't have to be political. That's a hot potato today, but it could be anything. I could say, what's your favorite kind of food? What's your favorite color? We're never going to find agreement. If that's what it's going to take for the church to be the church, we're never going to find agreement. But there's one thing, there's one thing that we find absolute agreement on, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ makes us one. And if that identity is in place... All the other stuff finds a place. All the other stuff finds a much less important. And Christians can't get pulled into all that we're seeing around us. And some things that, I'm not saying they're not important, but we've elevated them beyond what the unshakable kingdom says is important. Our identity. Christ has taken his life and his identity, and he's superimposed it over ours as Christians. And that's how we're to live. That's how we're to walk out. That's the foundation that Peter lays for the church in that day. What do you do when the world around you feels like it's just all falling apart? Well, first of all, you got to step back, and you got to remember what is, and who you are, and who Jesus is. Before you make any decisions, before you react or respond in any way, before you take any position on anything, you have to step back and remember your identity. And we're going to work out of our identity. We're going to move based on the life that that Christ has put in us. That's how we're going to respond. That's how we're going to react. So Peter lays that foundation. Then he turns his, his his attention. He says, now that this new identity is in place, Let's talk about how that identity behaves in the world that's falling apart, in the place where you live. How 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 are we to behave as his people, identified with him? So we go to 1 Peter, the first chapter. Verse 17, Peter writes, and if you call on him as father, anybody here call on him as father? Amen. We know him as father. If you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, listen, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Paraphrase, if you're a Christian, 
If you know God as your father, then your conduct matters and you're to live identified with him throughout every day that he gives you on this earth. Throughout your entire life. If you call him father, that identifies you. And your identity should affect your behavior. Your identity should affect your conduct. We behave out of who we believe ourselves to be. And if we believe ourselves to be in Christ, not that we're perfect, but that we are in Christ, and that has to affect the way we conduct our lives. And Peter now is going to move through the rest of his letter talking about what that looks like in the world, what kind of conduct that looks like. He's going to talk about holiness. That's what we're going to talk about today. Then he's going to talk about submission. Then he's going to talk about suffering. That's the next two sermons coming up. Each one modeled by the life of Jesus. Not high virtues. You don't, you don't hear our culture touting those realities, those virtues, not pushing those character traits, holiness, submission, suffering as values. In our flesh, we hear them and we don't like them. But I trust in it will if we'll see them through our identity in Christ, we'll find out there's a strength in them. There's a power in them that will not only make us able to stand in hard times. See, we have to change that in our thinking too. Sometimes we look at difficult times and we just want to survive them. That's not God's desire for us. We're not just to, to, to survive difficult times. We're to thrive in them. We're to expand and enlarge and grow in them. So Peter says, let's, let's talk first about holiness. Let's talk about the marks of holiness. Because holiness is what people can see that will prove your identity. Father, bless your word today. Your presence is here. Now I pray that you speak to every one of us practically through your word so that we can be, be, live out our lives as sons and daughters of you in an even greater dimension with, with greater effectiveness and greater honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to pull the message from 1 Peter, first chapter, verses 13 to 25. We're not going to necessarily walk through them one by one. But out of that passage, and, and you, can, you can read that you know, later, perhaps today. All right? Um, our key text will be, is going to be taken out of the 15th verse where, in 16, where it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you should be holy, for I am holy. That's a, that's a big verse. That's a hard verse. Be holy. God is speaking. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is right as he writes, is speaking and saying, and he's referring back to a, an Old Testament passage that we're called to be holy. We're called to live holy lives. That means that word means to be set aside for special use, specifically for sacred use, to be set aside for the purposes of God, to be morally and physically clean. If you recall in the Old Testament, in the, in the um, temple, 
Every, everything and every person who was instrumental in the temple, who had anything to do in the temple, had, had to be washed and anointed. First Peter, in his second chapter, the fifth verse, says that we're, we are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. See, at salvation, you were washed and anointed. You were made holy. The blood of Jesus washed you, cleansed you from all your unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit anointed you by his presence in you, taking residence in you. In Scripture, anointing oil would leave a mark. And the Holy Spirit is symbolized as oil, oftentimes. And so you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, and you've been marked by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian today, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You've been anointed. You've been washed and anointed. Why? To be holy. You've been made holy so that you can serve God's purposes. He has set you aside. He has marked you for his purposes in this earth. That's a high calling. I don't want to now you let Peter break that down for us. Three marks of holiness that we need to consider in our lives. We're going to talk about the discipline of holiness, the motivation of holiness, and the conduct of holiness. If you look at verse 13, he, he begins talking about the discipline of holiness. And he gives us three things that we need to be if we're going to live this in and not of kind of life. In the first part of verse 13, he says, be ready. He says, therefore, because Christ has identified us with himself, therefore, he says, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. We have to be ready. See, preparation is always done in advance. How many of you know that the day of the test is not, it's too late to study? It's, it's just too late to study. You didn't prepare. Because preparing can't be done in the moment. Preparing is done always in advance, in anticipation. And Peter is saying, you have to be preparing your mind all the time. Because you're living in a strange place. You, you, you don't know what the next challenge is. You don't know what the next, um, what's going to be around the next corner. And you, but you have to be prepared for it. You have to prepare. And he says, prepare your mind. Everything we do begins through, in our mind. Everything is a result of how we think. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And sometimes we lose battles in life because we weren't prepared for it. Not because we couldn't have stood strong, not because we couldn't have overcome, not because we couldn't have walked away or turned it off or done whatever needed done, but we weren't prepared for it. And so it took us by surprise. And in that, see, temptation tries to work that way just to sort of sneak up on us. And, and Peter's saying, you got to be prepared. You have to live a life of preparation. We should continually be prepared. Think of a fine athlete. They're continually preparing for the next game, for the next competition. They're continually refining themselves and making sure they're in, in good condition, tip-top shape all of the time at any given moment. And Christians need to be Preparing themselves, preparing our minds. It's talking about our mindset. Our mindset is the things we set our mind on. 
And sometimes we let our minds just get too cluttered. And with things that maybe aren't sinful, they're just not necessary. That they're not as important as maybe other things. We have to prepare our mind. He says, be self-controlled. The second part of verse 13, he says, be sober-minded. That means self-controlled. That word also translates, it says, means watchful. Be watchful, be aware, self-controlled. Sober-minded means, in other words, don't, don't be intoxicated by the stuff around you. Don't be overcome and overwhelmed. Don't, don't do anything and, and that, that could impair your mind. You're, you're trying to have your mind prepared at all times. Well, don't do any things that would impair. That's what, that's what um, intoxication does. It, it impairs your ability to think. You know, it's, it's like talking at a phone while you're driving. It impairs your ability, no matter how good you think you are at it, trust me. It impairs your ability to operate that car and drive that car as efficiently as if you weren't. Even if you got the speakers and the hands free and all that. Listen, I did the research. You can, you can check me out. I did the research. They actually have labeled it. They call it inattentional blindness. And it says that if you're talking on the phone, in fact, it even relates if you're just listening to the radio, that your ability, your reaction time in driving that vehicle, your responses in driving that vehicle are diminished as much as 37%. Be self-controlled. Don't, don't let anything impair this life that's in you. Thirdly, he says, be obedient. Verse 14, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't go backwards. Live as obedient children. Don't go backwards. Holiness comes with a whole new set of passions, a renewed set and revived and refined and sanctified set of passions. Don't get pulled back into the old passions of an old life. Be prepared. In other words, be ready, be self-controlled, be obedient. Now listen, that's not rocket science. In fact, that's not even just scriptural. That's not just, just Bible's teaching. The business world knows that. These three requirements, if you're going to be successful at anything, you're going to find these three things are in place. If you're going to excel in any area of life, you're going to find, that you're going to find a person that, that's ready, that's self-controlled, and is obedient to whatever that discipline is. And Peter's just saying, church, let's, let's get real. Let's really live this life. Let, let's not just do our churchy kinds of things and have our Christian little conversations, but then really act and think like everyone else. Let's really give ourselves to the discipline that it takes to be identified with Christ. And then Peter goes on and he says that if this discipline life that he's talking about, well, it has to come from somewhere. It has to be motivated because disciplines always are activated by motivation. We don't take on hard tasks just because we want to. There's always a, a reason that pushes behavior. There's always a reason behind why we're doing the things that we're doing. And, and Peter's saying, look, you have to think about your why. We can look at some what's in Scripture. Abraham left home. Jonah disobeyed. Peter met Jesus for the first time. Judas betrayed Jesus. Those are, those are what they did. But what's their motivation? See, that's a more important question. 
that we have to ask ourselves. What's our real reason for following Christ? What's our real reason for doing the things that we do, for using time the way we use time, using um, finances the way we use finances? What's the real reason behind the friends that we have and the way we maintain those friendships? What's the real reason behind why I operate the way I operate in any area of life, why I think the way I think? What, what's the reason behind it? Abraham left home. Why? Because he believed in the promise of God. See, motivations can work in a positive and negative way. Jonah disobeyed. Why? Because he hated Nineveh. He didn't think they deserved to be forgiven. Peter came and met Jesus for the first time. Why? Not because Peter was so great or was looking, but because his brother Andrew brought him. And he loved his brother Andrew. Judas betrayed him. Why? Because someone dangled 30 pieces of silver in front of his face. See, holiness is reflected in our behavior, but it's rooted in our motivation. It's rooted in our minds. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at your why. God looks at why. And that's what he wants to fix in us. That's what he wants to change in us. Because he knows if he can embed his why in us, conduct will follow. Behavior will follow. So motivation's terribly important. So let's look at it for a minute. Peter's a great one to talk about motivation to us because he understood the good and the bad of motivation. This is Peter that at one time he's making great revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus applauds him for it. And, and we, he turns around and the next time we, we see in Scripture, he's, he's rebuking Jesus because Jesus is saying things that Peter doesn't agree with. So he's telling Jesus he's wrong. We see him at one time drawing a sword to defend Jesus. And then a few hours later, we find him denying him, saying, I don't, I don't know that guy. And he was motivated. In every response, he was motivated. In every what, his, there was a why. Now, the Peter who's writing this letter isn't that Peter. This is an elderly Peter. This is a mature Peter. This is the head of the church in Rome, Peter. This is a Peter who, in just a short time, was, would be martyred on a cross for the sake of Christ, for refusal to deny his identity with Jesus. Jewish culture and history tell, tells us that Peter didn't even feel like he was worthy to be crucified the way Christ was and requested that he be hung on the cross upside down. We, we don't know the factualness of that. There's... Jewish historians that have recorded it. This is the Peter who's writing about motivation. And he says that motivation for the believer is based on what we know. Our motivation comes out of what we know. Verses 18 to 21, knowing that you are ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. See, there's things that we know that feed our why, that feed the motivation of our lives. 
See, we know, have you ever taken time to sit back and, and just think what your life would be like if Jesus hadn't intercepted it? We know or can at least assume what we would have been like, what our life today could be like if Jesus didn't come and rescue us, if he didn't change our identity. Who might we be today? What would we be involved in? Would we be today? We know what he rescued us from. We know what it cost him to, to do the rescue. Not silver and gold, but his blood. It cost him his life to come and rescue you. We also know that we couldn't pay the price. We didn't even have the silver and gold enough to pay the price, let alone innocent blood, let alone sinless blood. We also know that he knew the price in advance. Jesus didn't come and then was surprised that it was going to cost him his life. He came knowing. In fact, he not only came knowing, he came for that purpose. Before the foundations of the, of the earth, the Bible says the lamb was slain. He came fully aware of what it was going to cost him in order to rescue you and rescue me. We know because of that that nobody loves us more. There's nobody who loves you more than Jesus. Listen, he knew all of your stuff. And he paid the price anyway. He knew all those things you think in the dark. He knows all those secrets that you don't want and you have hidden and you pray that you can live your whole life and no one will find out. He knew all of it. And his love said, I'm going to pay the price anyway because I love him that much. See, we, and we know that. That should motivate us. And, and we also know something else. We know there's nowhere else to go. Right? We know there's, what, there's no other choice. Again, Peter, only rewind earlier. There was a time when Jesus was still on earth, and many of his followers, it says they stopped following him because some of the, the, the signs and wonders were fading away, and Jesus was starting to teach on harder things. Maybe he was start, starting to teach them about what it might cost them to be identified with him. And it says, many followed him no more. And he turned to his disciples and said, are you going to go? Are you going to walk away? And it was Peter who said, where else can we go? Where else can we go? See, we know that. We know there's no, there's, there's no options. There's no plan B. Yeah, where else can we go? You know, if, if you go home and, and you're, the, the pipes under your sink are, are leaking, you call a plumber. If, if the lights go out, you call an electrician. But who do you call? Where do you go when the world's falling apart? Where do you go when, when you notice you have, you have anger inside of you you can't control? Where do you go when you, you have fear and anxiety to such a point that you can't even sleep at night? Where do you go when life is just out of your ability to control and manipulate and handle all those different things? Where do you go? We know a place to go. We have a place to go. The one who sits above it all. The one who's not limited by any of it. The one to whom nothing is impossible. 
The one that the Bible says whose eyes run to and fro around the whole earth looking for his kids so that he could rescue them. So that he can save them. So that he can show himself strong on their behalf. We know. There's, there's nowhere else to go. He's, it's the only game in town. You only have the words to eternal life. Then, then Peter goes on, he says, here's, here's the test. And this gets the real nitty-gritty part of the lesson. He's going to talk now about what that conduct involves on real practical terms. We're identified with Christ. We, there's a discipline that is called and expected of us that we have to bring to that identity and that relationship. There's a motivation that has to take place in our heart. There's shifts that have to take place of what really pushes us, what our whys are, what our reasons are in life and the way that we're living our lives. And now he's saying that there's holiness also then as a result. Based on that discipline, based on that motivation, there, there's what can be seen on the surface. See, those are all internal. Discipline, motivation, those are internal. But now he's going to talk about the conduct of holiness. That's external. That's what's above ground. That's what others can see. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. It's going to be your assignment. I'm not going to teach it to you. I'm going to make it an assignment. P Peter's going to take an, uh, two sets of instructions. And each set is just a couple of verses. He's going to tell us two things that we need to put on and a couple of things that we have to take off. And I want, to, I want you to make that a part of your devotion time this week with the Lord. A little self-evaluation, a little spiritual examination to see if, if our conduct is aligning with our motivation, which is aligning with our discipline, which is evident of our identity in Christ. So here's what's going to happen. When, when we leave today, I'm going to dismiss in, in just a moment, um, at each of the giving stations on your way out, there's just a sheet of paper. And it has the scriptures leader there and a couple discussion questions. You don't have to just use the questions. You can come up with them. But it, it shows the scripture where Peter is saying, here's what it looks like above ground. Here's what Christians should be living out in the world, no matter what that world looks like. No matter how much that world is changing or shifting or shaking, you like it or you don't like it, this is, this is what it, real practical stuff. And, and I'm just praying that, that this week as you spend time just meditating on those verses that you'll also allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart. And if there's anything in our conduct that needs changed, that needs addressed, adjusted, that, that we would be honest enough and serious enough as sons and daughters of God to, to take it on. And, and change what needs change, to ask God to give us wisdom and a plan on how to change those things. Maybe it has to be tracked back through our motivation and our discipline in order to fix the outcome. But I, I hope we'll, you'll take it real serious. So those papers will be available on your way out. If you're at home streaming online, I don't forget about you. Um, hopefully, if you scroll down um, to the des description box, the, the material is there. The outline is there as well for you, so you can take advantage of it as well.
Holiness is a huge issue. And it's what the world needs to see. Discipline has to be in place. Motivation. But holiness is what's seen by others. Holiness, I wrote in my notes, holiness is the sparkle of the believer. A holy life reflects the identity of Christ in us. That's the sparkle of the believer. It's the shine. It's the gleam. It's the glow that the world needs to see. Listen, when the, when world, the world is in darkness, what do they need more than anything else? They need light. And we are to be salt and light. Jesus said this, that in the same way, let your light, let your sparkle so shine before men that they'll see how you live Recognize you're identified with Jesus, and they'll give the Father glory. What a great commission. What a great privilege and honor God's given to us. To be able to, what's going to change our world? You are. What's going to give the world an option to the course they're on? You are. We are. As we walk this out, as we live this out, I don't know which way our, our tomorrow holds for, for us as a nation. And it, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. It's getting better than it's getting worse. And, and we, seem, we see some terrible things happening that we're seeing and have already experienced things we never thought we'd experience in our lifetimes. But that's there. It's not unimportant. Should we pray? Yes. Should that become our identity? No. Never. We, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the earth. And if salt refuses to have flavor and if light refuses to shine, what hope is there for the world? Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hallelujah. These are serious times. But they're exciting times. They really are. We are moving into a time. We are in a time. We're just on the surface. It's, we know it's serious. But they're also exciting. Because we, above all the people on the planet, have a God who rules above it all. He reigns above it all. And he wants to let his purposes his love, his will, known to the world through us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the maturity of your people who are able to hear and receive your word and take it and ingest it and let it have its work in them. You said that your word never returns to you void, that it accomplishes the purpose for which you set it out. So, Lord, by your spirit, let your word accomplish its purposes in every one of us today. We are your sons and daughters. We are children of the Most High God. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and our elder brother. We have an identity. Help us to lose ourselves in that identity and then help us to be to implement who you are in us into the earth around us. 
God strengthen your people today. Encourage them today. If any are, are despairing or discouraged, Lord, there, there is things that we're seeing we don't like, but there is cause for great hope. There is cause for great celebration. There is cause for rejoicing because you are faithful, because you are good, because through it all, there's a plan. Through it all, there's a purpose. And we pray today. Just, just join me in this prayer. You know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For you, thine, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week in the Lord. Thank you for being here today. Praise God.